Hello, and welcome to a special end-of-year episode of From Russia with News, a weekly podcast produced by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greatest challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and helping me host today's show is Moscow Times editor Eva Hartog. Hello, Eva. Привет. And that's not the only change we have in store for you today. Instead of our usual two guests, we've recruited a crack team of Russia pundits to help us look back on 2018 and ring in the new year. Joining us is Guardian correspondent Andrew Roth. Andrew, you're one of very few journalists in Moscow who didn't start their career at the Moscow Times. Do tell us how you managed. I know, it's a bit depressing. I wish I was there at the Moscow Times. Also, joining us here in the studio is Nabi Abdullayev, the former editor of the Moscow Times, a man who requires no introduction. Thank you for being with us today. Yeah, you're most welcome. <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, Palina Ivanova from Reuters. Nice to be here. Guys, we've been sitting around a table with some traditional Russian New Year's treats. And yes, there was a plate with just dill on it, but that wasn't all. Uh, Paulina, you have Russian roots, don't you? Uh, yes, I'm from St. Petersburg. Okay, so could you please describe for our listeners uh, what we had laid out on the table? Uh, we did have a plate of dill, which I've got to say is quite unusual. Um, <laughs> usually that's a, a topping uh, <laughs> rather than a meal in itself. But that I'm was sure, just uh, us trolling everybody, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, well, I mean, a normal uh, New Year's uh, spread would have Salat Olivier and we would have a Russian rom-com classic, Eronia Sudbui, in the background somewhere, which uh, we didn't today. But, um, yeah, plenty of delicious treats. So, ahead of today, we gave you some homework to do. We asked each of you to select your moment of the year, your person of the year, and your blunder of the year. Nabi, let's start with you. What was your, what was your moment of the year? Um... My moment of the year was FIFA Club, yeah, and also it was, while it was a big media event, yeah, and as a former media man, kind of, well, it's it's kind of natural highlight, yeah, from the point of where I work now, and I'm a director at Control Risks, a global risk consultancy, it was also quite a remarkable thing that such a big attempt by the Russian state to create a positive image and quite successful event, actually, because thousands of people were coming here and there was a big boost to the economy and uh, the general media uh, coverage of, uh, the, of these games of FIFA Cup was quite positive. And it was remarkable how quickly this positive effect was wiped off by the Skripal case that kind of exploded in August, just several weeks after the Games. So in your view, the World Cup was ostensibly a success? Definitely. Yeah, by all means. Andrew, you've been here for how many years? You've been living in Russia? Uh, seven years. How was the atmosphere here compared to, well, during the World Cup, compared to how it usually is? Yeah, I, I completely agree with Nabi that that was one of the the most exciting, interesting, and, and kind of exceptional moments that I've seen here since I came in 2011. Um, you know, Russians have a kind of reputation and a stereotype for being very dour. Uh, and less people know about the sort of hospitality that can be quite impressive, unusual, and just, you know, extravagant, I guess, in the way that they met this enormous influx of uh, South Americans in particular. Uh, I followed Peru to Yekaterinburg and having been in Yekaterinburg before this and then seeing the city kind of transformed uh, 
with this sort of South American or Central American flavor that, you know, came through those cities, I think it was really exceptional. It was something I've never seen in Russia since. And the other thing was just that the Russian team actually did well. They didn't lose. They didn't crash out in the group stages. Uh, the fact that the Russians were able to stay in and be excited about that uh, was exceptional. It was something really special. Uh, Andrew, what was your what was your moment of the year? Uh, my moment of the year was uh, Arkady Babchinka, who's a Russian journalist living in Ukraine, coming back from the dead at a press conference about the investigation into his murder in Ukraine. Uh, I didn't even have to be in Ukraine for that to be the moment of the year for me because it was a hugely emotional moment. If you don't remember, it was in March. Uh, there was the murder of a journalist in, uh, in, in Ukraine, in Kiev. Uh, he was shot to death uh, at his home, I believe. Uh, and we'd all been watching the news. I'd actually been traveling to Chechnya that evening because it was ahead of the World Cup, and I was going down to do a report uh, about the city uh, when this news had broken. And the next day I was watching in my hotel room the press conference when, who comes out but Arkady Babchinka, actually alive, uh, and having been speaking with his friends throughout this entire process and sort of the surprise, uh, some sense of betrayal to a certain degree, uh, the questions about why this decision was made uh, for a, a kind of shady investigation into this person who supposedly wanted to kill him. I mean, it was just the highest drama, the most exciting and the most kind of surprising moment that I saw this year. Andrew, can I just follow up on that uh, a moment? Because Babchenko was actually named by Time as one of the people of the year, one of its persons of the year. What did you think when you heard that? I thought that was, uh, frankly, slightly ridiculous. Uh, I, I wouldn't have chosen it myself. I mean, a lot of the journalists on the list uh, paid a real price uh, to be there. They've been arrested. They have been killed. Bajinka has doubtlessly paid a price as well. He's been in a very difficult situation. But these lists are always questions of either or, like elections. And in that sense, the people who weren't on the list, uh, like Orhan Jamal, who's a Russian journalist who was killed in the Central African Republic this year, and, and two other journalists who traveled there with him, uh, their absence and the inclusion of, of Arkady was surprising. You know, I'd like to phrase it in a more positive way and say that I would really like to see Orhan on that list uh, and not talk about the people who shouldn't be there. But if you do look at it just straightforwardly, it seems like a surprising decision. So you actually picked Jamal as your person of the year um, together with Margarita Simonian, so two very different breeds of journalists. Why did you pick two journalists and why those specific two? Dmitry Peskov said it yesterday, you know, we're in an information war. Uh, we all know we're in an information war. I actually don't always think that, but uh, information is huge now, media is huge now, and if there's a person who kind of embodies Uh, I think the sense of Russia this year, Margarita Simonyan is a good choice. She's had a cracker. Uh, she asked the question of Putin about, or excuse me, she interviewed uh, Bashirov and Petrov, the, the suspected scripple poisoners. And we'll get back to that later on. <laughs> yeah. uh, she is involved in, a, a, you know, something that's going on right today, which is the investigation into uh, RT in, in London, in the UK, and also now an investigation into the BBC Russian edition here in in. Russia, and I just think that if you look each month, I mean, she's really done a very good job at backing and building the brand of a news agency that isn't always very good, uh, but that she's built out into an outsized player in terms of uh, their influence, uh, both around Russia, but also, I think, in the presidential administration, too. I mean, much is being made of the threat that RT actually poses to Western democracies and things like that. What do you think about it? I think that, and I'd like to hear what my, my colleagues think about it as well, I think that RT 
uh, the threat of RT to kind of the uh, various democracies around the world is outsized to a certain degree. I think that it becomes more dangerous uh, when you start investigating it in certain ways. Uh, it plays directly into both the brand and I think a growth strategy for that brand for RT. So, of course, information can be quite dangerous around the world, but I do think that uh, these kinds of threats need to be taken uh, and, and worked with intelligently and to understand that I, uh, shutting down media in most cases is usually a counterproductive activity. It's much better to create positive uh, ideas that can kind of replace it or replace uh, the news agency that you're worried about. Mm-hmm. Well, I largely agree with Andy that the threat uh, of RT is overblown. And uh, in the meantime, there is some sense in what Simonian uh, said herself, that RT is successful there where local media is failing. Mm. Yeah, they, they're filling the gap. Can you expand on that a little bit? What is it that other media are failing at that RT manages to somehow compensate? Uh, RT... Uh, as I understand, concentrates on underreported topics or topics that are out of focus of the mainstream media. And uh, mainstream media is often kind of uh, framed by certain narratives. And uh, whenever there is a gap, there is a story that is outside this narrative, but it is still relevant for the audience. RT sometimes uh, uses this chance and kind of delivers this story and confronts uh, local media local mainstream media saying we uh, have done your job. Nabi, speaking of narratives, I'm going to stay with you a second because you picked as your person of the year Sergei Kirillenko, which I thought was a very interesting pick. Tell us more about that. (laughs) Well, this is uh, directly related to Andy's uh, pick. If he picked uh, Simonian as a person who represents uh, Russian information well, warfare, you call it, or warfareation activities uh, directed outward. I picked Kirienko because he perhaps was one of the most important people uh, in Russia uh, when we speak about domestic processes. And uh, what I meant is that, well, let's start from the scratch if I have a minute. <laughs> we live in a country created by President Putin the way how he sees it. The whole Russia is a product of Putin's uh, imagination and effort. I mean, this political and economic system in Russia. And it has been created a while ago. Actually, several years have passed since the moment when, for example, for me, as for a journalist who covered Putin for many years, has become that he's done. I mean, he has no more ideas. And uh, whatever discussion about let's have this reform, let's have that reform is more for the show. Putin does not want to reform the state that he built like, say, three, five years ago. And uh, over these three, five years, the system has accumulated some fatigue. There is an accumulation of incompetence because there is no really serious competition or serious public oversight. There is a lack of transparency in decision-taking. So the system started showing cracks. And Kirienka has done a fantastic job in kind of keeping the facade, at least, of, of this state, uh, working, like, looking as a, as a working one. Yeah, he delivered Putin a fascinating victory during the March elections. It was a record vote for, for the president ever. He fixed this latest situation in Primoria that happened with the Kazimierka elections. In the he has done many things. Some of them were visible, some of them were invisible. And as someone who managed people, 
<laughs> Even like on small scale, I can I understand what kind of effort uh, this man has to do actually to to deliver what he was expected to do. Just for those who might not know who Kirienko is, uh, Kirienko is Putin's first deputy chief of staff, and he's been responsible for domestic, domestic politics. politics yeah. Exactly. Can I just follow up on that real quick? Because for me, 2018 was also a year of protests. It's not that we haven't seen any protests. We've seen protests against trash, uh, what else, um, obviously the pension reform, reform uh, ahead of Putin's inauguration into office after the elections. So do you see that as Kirienko's weakness? Is that his failing or is that a way to let off, off steam? Uh, is it not at all relevant to what you were just describing? Is it a sign of strength of the regime? What, how do you see those protests? Well, I wouldn't see this as a protest. I mean, I remember 2011, 2012, when we had tens of thousands of people. I remember 90s, guys, when you were in kindergartens, <laughs> when there were hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. Yeah, Thanks, those were protests. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Kirienko is the person who fixes this protest. I mean, Kirienko himself was also in kindergarten. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> you know, he he's a little older than than you may expect. Yeah. Isn't his nickname yeah. the Kinder Surprise? Yeah, it was. Uh, in the 96, 97, 98, when he was uh, uh, briefly a prime minister, 97, I think, 97, 98. I think, I did just to add, I mean, the fact that Kirienko managed all of this despite having to put through these incredibly painful reforms this year, I mean, speaks to his kind of success in it. Just that, I mean, he had to do that, you know, despite they told, you know, most of the country that they would lose five years for pensions and have to wait until 65 or 60 years old for men and women. I, I mean, it's a success that that hasn't affected the country more. Mm-hmm. Paulina? Uh, this was actually my, my something of my pick for the uh, for event of the year, moment of the year, um, uh, which I wanted to talk about a small election that took place in uh, near the Arctic Circle uh, in Kormia Republic, where a uh, school teacher, I think she was a physics or maths teacher, in uh, from a small village of about 300 people, uh, defeated the deputy head of Luke Oil, of a major oil company, in the race for a council seat in September. And uh, I think that, for me, is moment of the year because it encapsulates quite a lot of the protests that we saw around pension reform. That was exactly the moment when uh, those measures were being introduced and debated and uh, this tiny little moment uh, was just, for me, very representative of what was going on in the country. Potentially not uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the street as in the in the 90s, but still significant in terms of um, the changes that were being that were taking place and the scale of them for, for Russia. We have the benefit of having seen most of your answers, your responses to these questions before you, well, before you're announcing them today. Uh, and what we notice is that when it comes to the blunder of the year, we seem to all be in general agreement that the way Russia handled the fallout from the poisoning of Sergei Skripal was pretty much the blunder of the year. Andrew, you've been covering this story for a, for a, for a British paper. The attack happened on British soil. What's it been? What's it been like to, to be following up on the story? I think it's rather remarkable that uh, the story has been uh, has retained so much focus, despite the fact that in the, it's not a news light year. I mean, the UK is leaving the European Union, but we found a lot of time, a lot of interest uh, to be on the Skripal story from pretty much the beginning uh, in in March when it took place. So. I can just say that, I mean, the, the pressure on it, the interest in it uh, is overwhelming, all-consuming. It's something that reminded me of working for a U.S. paper on the Trump election uh, and the sort of fallout from the Trump election in 2016. 
uh, and uh, I would expect that nobody in Russia expected uh, this case to maybe have the kind of fallout that it did, including you know the sanctions that Poland is looking at, including uh, everything else that sort of has has followed on from the death uh, of one person and, and the attempted murder of a of an ex spy who I think the Russians thought nobody cared about. Very few, if any, of my Russian friends and acquaintances actually believed the story that was sold on Russian state TV. So believed the whole Petrov and Bashirov story. And actually, the two have become somewhat of a meme inside Russia itself. So they're being mocked basically by everybody at home and abroad. Um, Nabi, what do you think? Was this a, uh, the, was the way this was handled a fatal miscalculation by Putin, or just the ultimate Russian trolling? Uh, make something so ridiculously that absolutely no one uh, no one believes the story or no one believes you anymore. What do you think about the way this was handled at home? And uh, exactly the way how it was handled made to me the Russian blunder of the year because like spice scandals is something that may happen with any country. And But the way how you handle, how Russia handled it, it actually makes it the, the, the story here. And... The reasons why it was handled like this, you you said, uh, you named them, yeah, and I would add it only one that makes it really blunder. It's uh, incompetence. It if you, I felt as if it's a Coen Brothers movie. How if you if I remember correctly, like Burn After Reading, but with <laughs> samovars, matryoshkas, and bears somewhere <laughs> on the background. Yeah, I could imagine them, and uh, that's actually it. Yeah, it's uh, like the situation when the information about these people travels were leaked was leaked by cops for a fistful of rubles to uh, well we don't know whom and then they it pop up on the insider and in the Bellingcat and uh, it's it's something very Russian. Yeah, when the state interests and the interests of big corporations are being compromised by some greedy guy like somewhere on the ground but then the two were brought onto state television and interviewed by your person of the year margarita simonian i mean how do we explain that how should we interpret that as somebody who's worked for large businesses and like corporations news agencies before i mean you do get the sense of like people things happen i mean bureaucracy like putin said yesterday you know bureaucracy is eternal nothing can happen with it and my my sense my gut sense when i saw putin tell uh, an audience that these guys should come on television uh, and kind of explain themselves was, oh, there's obviously a plan. And the second they came on television, you realized, oh, there's no plan. <laughs> this was not, if this is a plan, it's something that's, you know, kind of above our heads. We can't really understand what's going on. But anybody watching this uh, on television live, like I was with my jaw just on the floor uh, from the answers these guys were giving, it was clear that this wasn't all planned through. It wasn't planned through that people would figure out how to reverse search uh, sort of databases to figure out lists of just where GRU agents have lived in Moscow, Narodne Apolchenia, which is right next to my house. It was fascinating. I mean, it was a, it was a, you know, you really got the sense that you look at these spy agencies and you think they're brilliant and you think that they're kind of high-tuned for the modern age, and they're not. They're like any bureaucracy. So we basically all agree that this was just sloppiness, or there's a lot of sloppiness. Uh, what about the fallout, though, Balina? Um, it's across the year for for both uh, as a result of the Skripal case, but um, also a, a string of other events and, and things going back as far as 2014 and, and Ukraine, we've had uh, the reaction of, of, of significant sanctions on 
uh, on on lots of Russian individuals and companies. Um, that obviously changed uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, when um, uh, OFAC, the US Treasury, signaled that it would be lifting some of the sanctions on aluminium empire. Rusal, uh, one of Alexei Paska's companies. So it shows that this is more flexible and, and there's some movement um, possible for Russia maybe next year. But um, the fallout was, yeah, it's been significant this year. I think um, for my person of the year, I would uh, do a sort of lighter tone take on the uh, Times Guardian's uh, person of the year and do the... Uh, Raise a, raise a toast to the gatekeepers. The uh, the year began with um, a Forbes list, the 100 Russian businessmen on a sanctions list. Behind each one of those businessmen is a press secretary that has had to handle this year. And uh, I think they're my person of the year. The press secretaries. <laughs> Putting out fires. <laughs> <laughs> we'll toast to them later. Uh, we want to change the pace a little bit uh, now and uh, look back on some of the bloopers or oddities of 2018. So we want to quiz our panel of experts on some of the more bizarre stories that have come out of Russia in, in 2018. Okay, guys, so it should be pretty simple. We have five multiple choice questions, which we'll be reading out. And our panelists are going to hit a buzzer as soon as they think they know the answer. Palina, can we hear your buzzer? With deep regret. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over to Nabi. And Andrew. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like uh, the start of an MGMT song. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? The winner will have the honor of knowing they're on top of the news that really, really matters. And so, Jonathan, why don't you start us off? Okay, the first one is a pretty, pretty, recent, uh, pretty, pretty recent one, actually. So an Orthodox priest this month was forced to apologize for posting pictures of designer clothes on Instagram. The question is, what reason did the priest give for posting the pictures? Was it A, to critique Western materialism, B, to improve the church's fashion image, or C, to fight for freedom and demonstrate his love of French culture? Pauline, I think you were in there first. Pretty sure it was C, to fight for freedom, but I don't remember why. You're absolutely right. And that is a very good question. <laughs> no one can really be sure why. <laughs> can I just add that the story was also amazing because he said that they weren't actual, some of them weren't actually Gucci shoes, but that he actually sewed his own Gucci <laughs> straps onto the shoes. So like he had normal shoes. And then if he had like a special praznichny, then he would sew something a little extra on there. Okay, question number two. This one's uh, for Nabi. <laughs> it's for everybody, but I'm counting on Nabi. Okay, so several months ago, a 13-year-old boy in Chechnya set a new world record for completing the most consecutive push-ups. The question is, what did Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov give him as a prize? Was oh. I'm ready to do it before. <laughs> that was a Mercedes-Benz car. Great, I didn't yeah. even have to read out the possible answers. There you go. Yeah. For bonus points, how many push-ups did the boy do? Uh, 10,000. I believe it was actually around 4,100, something like that. I'm looking at our producer, he's nodding, so yes. Still, though, only 6,000 short. <laughs> <laughs> give, him, give this guy another five years and, you know, he'll be up to 10,000. Uh, question number three. In November, two traffic police officers in Krasnoyarsk were commended for putting out a fire in a unusual or creative way. The question, how did they put out the fire? Was it A, throwing snowballs at it? Was it B, relieving themselves on it? Or was it C, throwing borscht on it? 
Andrew. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I think I think it's B relieving themselves on it. You, know, you is... would think that though. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? It's a fine guess. Uh, but it's not correct. So I'll leave the question open to Paulina um, or Nabi. Well, my buzzer is dead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah very in a timely manner because I don't know the answer. Yeah. Look, I, I hate to think of anyone wasting good borscht, so let's go for uh, throwing snowballs. Paulina, you're absolutely right. Congratulations. All right, question number four. It's almost Christmas and everyone in this room is looking pretty pale. No offense. <laughs> How many minutes of sunlight did Moscow see throughout December last year? Was it A, two hours and 32 minutes, B, six minutes, C, 58 minutes? Paulina, that's you. Sorry, six minutes, because that's so miserable. I know <laughs> I know that off by heart. I think I've, t- I've said that, I've repeated that to so many people. You're killing this. Quiz. Sorry, <laughs> I'm stop. You're on your way to winning it. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It was, it was six minutes. Last, not least, question number five. During the World Cup, Russia was inundated with foreign football fans, and of course, all of them were online. The question, what mobile phone app saw an 11-fold increase in use during the World Cup? Oh, Andrew, you're already in there. It's got to be, I mean, it's got to be Grinder. Clothes. Clothes. Paulina? Nabi. Tinder? Yes. You're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I believe the winner is, I don't even have to look at anyone, it's definitely Paulina. Paulina, congratulations. You're on top of the news that really matters, that keeps us going every day. Any words? I think uh, my editors are going to say I spend too much time on Twitter (laughs) after this. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Andrew. I thought we needed some sound effects. Yeah. And on that note, we've come to the end of the final episode of From Russia with News of this year. And while we're pouring ourselves a New Year's toast, we want to leave you with some holiday greetings from regular Muscovites who would like to wish our listeners around the world a very happy New Year. But before we do that, I want to thank Nabi Abdullayev, Andrew Roth and Palina Ivanova for being with us today. Thank you guys very much. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Our producer today was Piotr Sauer. And as always, thank you very much to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. We'll be back in the second week of January. I'm Jonathan Brown. And I'm Eva Hartog from everybody at the Moscow Times. Have a wonderful new year. Snowden Godam. I wish all of you uh, good health, uh, strong bones, and a lot of money in uh, 2019. Merry Christmas, everybody, and Happy New Year. Make love and not war. Dear friends, I wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and I wish you health and, I don't know, uh, the best. Everything the best.